Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Ryan Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring work day. I am Dracula. I bid you welcome. Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. The spider spinning his web for the unwary fly. The blood is the light, Mr. Renfield. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, in honor of Halloween, we're going to do Universal Horror Movies, and these are the the monster movies in particular, because those are the ones I'm particularly fond of. Um, I have this box DVD box set of the original 30 classic Universal monster movies, and I'm going to go through each one of them one by one in this episode. Some I will talk about more than others, just based on my, my knowledge, but I have seen them all. Some are definitely better than others. Some are definitely B pictures, but that's okay. We can get into every one of them. One thing that isn't in the box set, but should be mentioned, is the 1925 version of The Phantom of the Opera, which starred Lon Chaney Sr. And he was nicknamed as the Man of a Thousand Faces, and he really was. He did all of his own makeup. He really was the first, quote-unquote, monster of the movie era. And it is definitely worth seeing that, that picture Keep in mind, this is a silent movie, but that doesn't take away from the creepiness. If anything, it kind of makes it even more creepy because you have the score uh, underlying the movie. Um, Also, even though it isn't a universal horror film, the movie Nosferatu should be mentioned because it's still one of the creepiest movies ever made. And Max Schreck, who played Nosferatu, uh, he's the vampire, he looked like a monster, and it didn't look like he had that much makeup on either. So definitely check out those two in addition to the movies I'm going to talk about today. And, you know, if you haven't watched the original Universal Horror movies, definitely check them out. They are all classics. They're all really well done, and they're, they're actually very brilliant considering they weren't considered A pictures, but they have lasted, you know, longer and their history is is more robust than some of the movies that they thought would stand the test of time. But most of these have stood the test of time, especially the originals that we will talk about now. Okay, so we're going to go through chronologically. And the very first I mean, of the, the universal monster pictures that they recognize is Dracula from 1931. And to me, this will always be the definitive version of Dracula. Nobody is better than Bela Lugosi at playing the Dracula character. His voice, his eyes, his mannerisms, he is the best. And while, I, again, I think the Nosferatu from 1922 is, is kind of a creepier movie, mostly due to Max Schreck's appearance and his makeup, the Bela Lugosi version of Dracula is definitely chilling in its own way. The lack of a musical score in the background is really unique, so every noise and bit of dialogue is clearly heard, plus all the popping and the little nuances that that are there. And so in addition to Bela Lugosi, you get Dwight Fry, who's just brilliant as the psychotic Renfield. 
And so I like to creep out everyone, and I'm sure I'll play it throughout the podcast of Dwight Fry's laugh when he's like, <laughs> and you know, I'll randomly quote Bella Lugosi, um, you know, like when a dog is howling, like, listen to them, children of the night, what music they make. And so, yeah, I'm totally weird, but this is one I never get sick of watching. And there is a version that has the Philip Glass um, soundtrack in the background. And, I, you know, Malin has talked about this in, in the past. And so, you know, if you're going to watch any of these, and I'm going to mention some of the lesser known sequels, and they're all worth checking out if you if you just want some campy fun. But this is one that you should own. This is one you should watch every year because it is so good. And, and interestingly enough, really, Lagosa never played Dracula that much afterwards. He'd always play a weird scientist or something like that. And there's a great podcast called You Must Remember This that is actually going through the life of Bela Lugosi and, and Boris Karloff. And it is definitely worth checking out. And she's in the early phases of talking about their life. But Lugosi was actually kind of a heartthrob actor in the early years when he was in Hungary. And then he sort of turned into this kind of, you know, mad scientist because both Karloff and Lugosi were in their 40s when they kind of had a resurgence in their career. So definitely check out the original version of Dracula. (laughs) Why, he's mad. Look at his eyes. Why, the man's gone crazy. Next is the original Frankenstein from 1931. So not only do you get Dracula, you also get Frankenstein in the same year. And arguably they're the two best uh, horror character or monster characters ever created in both were novels. The original Frankenstein is fantastic due to the makeup, the acting, and the sets. Really, the first three Frankenstein movies are all amazing, and I'll get into the other two later. There was nobody better at Boris than Boris Karloff at playing the monster. But he really doesn't get to showcase his talents until the next movie, which we will talk about soon. Colin Clive is amazing as Dr. Frankenstein. And anytime you hear, it's alive, it's alive, it's instant chills. I mean, nobody played that better. I mean, everything else is self-parody at this point. And of course, any movie with Dwight Dwight Fry is awesome. He was in Dracula as Renfield, and now he plays Fritz as Dr. Frankenstein's assistant. So people tend to think that the character Igor was always always plays the assistant, and that's actually not true. Actually, Igor doesn't become a character until the third movie, which is in Son of Frankenstein. It's moving. It's alive. 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 In the name of God. Now I know what it feels like to be God. Next is The Mummy from 1932. The original Mummy starred Boris Karloff as Imahotep. Karloff was already a major star after playing the Frankenstein monster a year earlier. The premise and story for the original Mummy worked so well that every Universal Pictures Mummy sequel followed exactly the same storyline. They're all enjoyable, but if you're going to watch one classic Mummy movie, watch this one. And this is actually the only film where... 
um, Boris Karloff actually plays the mummy monster. So just for historical purposes alone, this should be the one you watch. The plot is a follower of Imhotep decides to revive the long dormant Egyptian priest. Once, re- once revived, Imhotep kills everyone who tries to stop him from resurrecting his past lover, who is the princess Anki Isenamon. Something like that. Anyway, I always found it amusing about how slow the mummy always moved, and it always seemed like he caught up to with the idiots running away from him, even though it didn't matter how slow he was going. Oh, the horror. Next is The Invisible Man from 1933. This was based on the sci-fi novel by H.G. Wells, which was originally released in 1897. Wells' work is a true testament of what a creative visionary he was, as invisible tales are still very popular in movies and television even today. The 1993, or sorry, the 1933 version from Universal Pictures stars the amazing Claude Rains. As you can imagine, you almost never see Rains on screen. You only hear his voice as he's wrapped up in bandages throughout the movie. Gloria Stewart plays Reigns' fiance. Younger movie fans will know Stewart for her role in, 19, in 1997's Titanic as the older version of Kate Winslet's character, Rose. For being a very old movie, the special effects are pretty cool, like seeing, or not seeing, the Invisible Man's head when he's removing his bandages. If you're a fan of classic horror sci-fi, sci-fi movies, this version of the Invisible Man is the best. I mentioned in the character actor episode that Claude Rains is one of the best character actors there is. Well, this is one where he actually is the main lead. Ironically, you don't even see him, but he is that good. He really shines in this film. Next is The Bride of Frankenstein from 1935. This, of course, is the sequel to the original Frankenstein movie from 1931. Most experts say that this is one of the greatest horror films ever created. It's definitely one of the best Frankenstein movies ever created. The evolution of the Frankenstein monster is very interesting and partly might be due to maybe showing off what Karloff could really do. In the first film, the monster is incredibly limited in what he can comprehend and does not speak well at all. In Bride of Frankenstein, he actually speaks and communicates fairly well. He understands good and evil good and evil and basically has a soul. This is especially apparent in the scene where Frankenstein befriends a blind man who lives alone in a cabin in the woods. The man doesn't care what the monster look like looks like. He just wants a friend. It's actually a pretty touching scene in the midst of all the horror going on throughout the film. The first three Frankenstein movies are all stellar and worth watching if you're a fan of classic horror films. After watching those, go and be sure to check out the amazing parody Young Frankenstein from Mel Brooks because he borrows heavily from all three all three films. And now for our lesson. Remember, this is bread. Bread. Mm. Bread. Mm. And this is wine to drink. 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 Good. Good. We are friends, you and I. Friends. Friends. Good. Good. And now for a smoke. No, no. This is good. Smoke. You try. Oh. 
before you came, I was all alone. It is bad to be alone. Alone. Bad. Friend. Good. Friend. Good. <laughs> Next up is Werewolf of London from 1935. This was the full first Wolfman horror movie from Universal Pictures. The Lon Chaney Jr. version of The Wolfman wouldn't be released until 1941. Henry Hall stars as the werewolf, and the story is basically the same as the 1941 version. The difference being that Hall is bitten by a werewolf while traveling into bed. Also, Hall's makeup is less complex than what Cheney's version of the wolf looked like in 1941. In any case, if you enjoy horror movies and the Wolfman legacy, Werewolf of London is worth checking out. And then, of course, you can listen to Warren Zevon's song after you watch the movie. As a matter of fact, why don't we just play the song now?
Next is Dracula's Daughter from 1936. This was one of the first sequels to the original Dracula movie from 1931. It also feels like the first B-movie in all of these sequels. The really only the real only connection to the first film is Edward Van Sloan, who returns to play Van Helsing in this movie. To be honest, the only reason I actually own this film is because I bought the Universal Monsters box set, and that includes all of the classic monster movies from the 1930s to the 1950s, which of course is what I'm using for the basis of this podcast. The movie is entertaining to watch, but it's not my favorite Dracula film. Next up is The Son of Frankenstein from 1939. The first three Frankenstein movies are horror classics and are all equally brilliant. Even though they are not technically considered a trilogy, Son of Frankenstein seems like the final act. Son of Frankenstein is Boris Karloff's last performance as the monster, but the first to feature the Igor character, which is played by the brilliant Bela Lugosi. An argument can be made that Son of Frankenstein is the best of all three, especially with the addition of Basil Rathbone, who is best known as Sherlock Holmes, to the cast. Much of this movie was parried by Mel Brooks in Young Frankenstein, everything from Igor, or Igor, to Inspector Craw, played by Lionel Atwill, with the wooden arm. Casual fans will think that Igor appeared in all of the early Frankenstein films, but the first two featured Dwight Fry as the assistant Fritz or Carl. Son of Frankenstein is also a bit longer than most of the Universal Horror movies at 99 minutes. The ending of the first of this film is pretty cool, and it's fun to watch three these three movies in a row on a lazy weekend. Basil Rathbone also plays, I believe he's the nephew or the son or he, he's related in some way to the original Dr. Frankenstein and he takes over for Colin Clive in this movie. Dr. Frankenstein. Frankenstein. You're putting me on. No, it's pronounced Frankenstein. Do you also say Froderick? No, Frederick. Well, why isn't it Froderick Frankenstein. It isn't. It's Frederick Frankenstein. I see. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. But they told me it was Igor. Well, they were wrong then, weren't they? Next up is The Invisible Man Returns from 1940. This is the first sequel to the original 1933 Invisible Man movie from Universal Studios. Since the original Invisible Man was played by Claude Rains and he was killed off in the first movie, the plot had to be altered a bit. Of course, Rains' character had a brother, played by John Griffin, who is also a scientist, how convenient, who works on invisibility serums. This, you know, throw logic out the way, out, out the window when uh, <laughs> it comes to these movies. Anyway, Griffin decides to help a man who was played by Vincent Price, and he's on death row, falsely accused of a crime. So Griffin injects Vincent Price with the serum, which allows him to break out of prison and clear his name. Pun intended. Inter- interestingly enough, like Claude Rains in the original Invisible Man, you only see Vincent Price for a very brief amount of time due to him being invisible most of the film. However, you hear Price's voice prominently throughout the film, and of course, he was best known for his amazing voice, as seen by, as heard by many people in the Michael Jackson Thriller album with the song Thriller. So anyway, check this movie out. It's still, it's not as good as the original Invisible Man, but definitely still fun to watch. <laughs> Next 
Next up is The Invisible Woman from 1940. This is the third movie in Universal's Invisible series. The unique part of The Invisible Woman is the use of comedy, which was not usually part of the Universal monster films. Of course, this happened much later uh, where they used comedy with the Abbott and Costello movies, but we haven't got there yet. The movie stars John Barrymore and Virginia Bruce. Barrymore plays a professor that is working on an invisibility machine, and Bruce becomes one of his test subjects. The rest of the film has Bruce experimenting with her newfound powers, and it's pretty funny. However, if you're looking for more of the creepy horror um, that is best uh, you know, represented for the Universal Monster movies, you might want to look elsewhere, but still check this out. Also, if you didn't know already, John Barrymore is the grandfather of Drew Barrymore. Next is The Mummy's Hand from 1940. This was the second Mummy film released by Universal Pictures. Though it's often thought of as a sequel, the film really has nothing to do with the plot of the original Mummy from 1932 starring Boris Karloff. And even though I enjoy all the classic Universal horror films, the Mummy series felt the most forced as the plot always seemed to follow the same pattern. Of course, some minion of, of Karis brings him to life, and then he, he then wreaks havoc on the surrounding community. And again, I always found it amusing that the Mummy always moved incredibly slow, but always seemed to catch up with the victims who happened to be running at full speed. <laughs> so keep this in mind. They definitely do follow the, the same format. If you're going to watch any of the, I think there's five of them, watch the original from 1932. If, if then you find like, hey, I need more, then watch more. But don't expect much uh, deviation from the plot. Next up is one of the best, and that's The Wolfman from 1941. 1940 was kind of a rough year. Well, rough in the sense that the three movies that were released by Universal Pictures were all kind of B-grade. The Wolfman kind of brought it back, and this is considered one of the top um, you know, the I would say the top three of all the monster movies, I would say that Draco and Frankenstein duke it out for number one, and then three would be The Wolfman. So I always enjoyed the original Wolfman from 1941s for, for a few reasons. One, Lon Chaney Jr. was excellent in all of the classic horror movies, and two, the real-time transition of Lawrence Talbot to a werewolf was incredibly cool to watch, but incredibly laborious for the makeup artist and director to film. For a dissolved scene that left, lasted roughly 10 to 15 seconds it took over 10 hours of makeup work that is insane but that is the kind of dedication that paid off when it came to these films and so the great thing about universal horror movies are the quick run times the wolfman is only 70 minutes long so there is no dragging points in the plot or action in addition to Lon Chaney Jr. you get the stellar supporting cast with Claude Rains, Warren William, Ralph Bellamy and Bela Lugosi if you haven't if you're going to watch a handful of these universal films definitely check out the first three frankenstein dracula and definitely the wolfman next is the ghost of frankenstein from 1942 again the first three universal frankenstein movies are all brilliant the fourth movie which is the ghost of frankenstein is entertaining but not nearly as stellar as the earlier films however you still get bella Lugosi as igor which is of course awesome and lon cheney jr plays the monster you gotta hand it to cheney jr as he was like the swiss army knife of monster movies and played all of the major characters including frankenstein the wolfman dracula and the mummy so the plot goes, after years of being tormented by the Frankenstein monster, the villagers decide to destroy the castle belonging to Dr. Frankenstein. Igor puts up a fight to stop this, but to no avail and ends up in the bottom of the castle where the monster has been preserved. Pleased that his old friend is still alive, Igor comes up with the idea of replacing his the sick brain with a healthy brain. 
I think you know where this one is going, and if you haven't, be sure to watch the movie. Next is The Invisible Agent from 1942. This is the fourth Invisible movie from Universal Pictures. While the previous films kind of took a more horror tone, this film was purely to promote the Allies' war effort against Germany in World War II. The quick plot involves the grandson of the original Invisible Man, and he decides to, decides to use his formula of invisibility uh, to spy on the Nazis. It's actually an interesting period piece, but again, it, it's it's like the previous Invisible Man movie where it, they went for comedy. That was the Invisible Woman. This one, they go for more of the spy effort. It's still worth watching, uh, but you don't go for the horror of it. Uh, some of the stars include Iona Massey, Peter Lorre, and Sir Cedric Hardwick. Definitely worth checking out, but don't expect any frights from it. Next up is The Mummy's Tomb from 1942. This is the third classic Universal Mummy movie. For this film, Lon Chaney Jr. takes on the role of Karis. However, it was said that he greatly disliked the laborious effort to put on the monster makeup. It took up to eight hours. This is saying something because he also played the Wolfman, which sometimes took ten hours to put on that makeup. As for the plot, I could really get into it. But if you've seen one early Mummy movie, you know what happens. Mummy comes to life from some cult follower. Then the Mummy wreaks havoc on everyone, even though he saunters like molasses. Somehow, the good guys, quote-unquote, kill the Mummy until the next film comes around. Even though they're all predictable, I'm always entertained. Next up is Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman from 1943. This is the fifth Frankenstein movie and the third Wolfman movie. This particular film stars Lon Chaney Jr. reprising his role of the Wolfman, and Bela Lugosi actually plays the Frankenstein monster. It's always fun to have these multiple monsters appearing in crossover films, and it's like really one of the first type of crossover movies there are. Now you you get all sorts of these, you know, whether it be with superheroes or whatnot, but this was actually the first of its kind. Of course, it would become self-parody, you know, when Godzilla fights King Kong and then Mothra and all these different things. But back in the day, this was actually pretty cool to put two of the monsters in the same movie. Next is the 1943 version of The Phantom of the Opera. And so while I find the silent version starring Juan Chaney Sr. from 1925 a superior version of the film, I own the 1943 version starring Claude Rains because it's included in the box set. The most unique part of the 1943 version is that it's all shot in color, as black and white was still the industry standard for most of the films at the time. Also, almost all of the Universal Horror films were in black and white, which always made the films more spooky. In my opinion, the color actually makes this version of Phantom Opera less scary and actually more hokey. However, any movie with uh, Claude Rains is worth watching. However, if you're going to watch you know, any of the Phantom of the Operas, definitely start with the 1925 version. Next is The Son of Dracula from 1943. And I just realized this is when it became ridiculous with son of this and, and daughter of this and next door neighbor's cousin of this and whatever. But I still love these movies no matter what. Anyway, Son of Dracula was uh, Lon Chaney starring in the title role. And I said before, Lon Chaney Jr. was the Swiss Army Knife because he played all of the major monsters. But one of the cool things about this particular movie are the special effects of having Dracula transform from a man to a bat. And it's also the first to name the count as Alucard, which is Dracula spelled backwards. Next up is The Invisible Man's Revenge from 1944. This is the fifth classic invisible horror movie from Universal Pictures. This time, John Carradine plays a mad scientist. Aren't they all mad? Anyway... 
he decides to test his invisibility formula on an escaped convict, played by John Hall. When the formula works, the criminal terrorizes a family he claimed cheated cheated him out of a fortune a year prior to his conviction. Anyway, this is actually kind of a fun one, but uh, yeah, the mad scientist, it's it's always kind of a fun uh, premise to work with. Next is The Mummy's Ghost from 1944. This is the fourth Mummy movie. Lon Chaney Jr. again plays Karras in the film, and the plot is pretty much the same as all the other Mummy movies, with some minion that worshipped Karras, reviving him from the dead in order to return him to his original resting place in Egypt. Again, I sound like a broken record with the Mummy movies, but really, they're all the same. I don't care what it is, but they always, it's, it's funny to watch because you'll realize that, geez, people keep falling for the same plot. And uh, yeah, I guess if, if, it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Next is The House of Frankenstein from 1944. This is when they throw in the kitchen sink for everything because it includes the all-star group of monster characters with the Wolfman, Dracula, and Frankenstein. The cast includes Boris Karloff, who plays a mad scientist, of course. Lon Chaney Jr. plays the Wolfman. John Carradine plays Dracula. And Glenn Strange plays Frankenstein. What a great name to play a monster, Glenn Strange. Anyway, he was also the uh, Frankenstein monster in Abbott and Costello meet frankenstein which we will get to soon again for this movie the plot is loose but the cast is great and it's one of the better forgotten classic monster movies next up is the mummy's curse from 1944 and this is the final (laughs) classic mummy movie to be produced by universal that is if you don't count the comedy film advent because they'll meet the mummy we'll talk about that later but they finally put him to rest in this one. Uh, Lon Chaney Jr. for the third time stars as Karras. It was once again brought back from the dead after being discovered in Louisiana. Yeah, I thought it was pretty random too. Anyway, he was buried in quicksand in The Mummy's Ghost, which we talked about before. And there you have it. He's magically back. Why he appeared in Louisiana? Eh, don't think too hard about it. Next up is The House of Dracula from 1945. House of Dracula is a direct sequel to House of Frankenstein. And again, stars all the classic monsters, Frankenstein, Dracula, and Wolfman. So while the first versions of each monster are definitely the best, the ensemble films are actually very entertaining and fun to watch. Plot-wise, there's really no difference between the two films, so if you like the first, which is, be- which is House of Frankenstein, you'll enjoy House of Dracula as well. Next is She-Wolf of London from 1946, and this stars June Lockhart and Don Porter. So it had been almost six years since they did a female offshoot of the monster movies with uh, The Invisible Woman that was back in 1940. Um, And again, this film isn't as famous as the other Universal monster movies, but it was included in the DVD set, and here I am talking about it. Much like the original Wolfman, this this involves a young heiress, who played by June Lockhart, who finds out about her family um, and their curse of uh, lycanthropy, which of course means a werewolf, and she soon turns into a wolf herself. Again, this isn't that memorable, but if you're into all these and you're completist like I am, you're definitely going to want to check it out. But again, it's not that memorable. All right, so after She-Wolf of London, Universal kind of stopped making... Uh, the monster movies, but they brought it back and they made arguably one of the greatest monster movies ever made, and that is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, and that, this was in 1948. And so when I was a kid, this is actually what got me into the Universal monster movies. It had everything. You had Frankenstein played by Gwen Strange, the Wolfman played by Lon Chaney Jr., and returning as Dracula, you had Bela Lugosi. 
I, this was a dream come true for me, and this is what really got me into monster movies, like I said. It was hilarious and scary at the same time. I thought it was the coolest thing being able to see Juan Cheney Jr. transform into the Wolfman. And then, again, you get the return of Bela Lugosi, and this is perfect because he is the definitive Dracula. The other great thing about this particular Abbott and Costello movie is it isn't bogged down by a musical number and the fucking Andrew sisters. They ruin every Abbott and Costello movie they're in. Look, I'm sure the Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy was its Billy Jean of its era, but for me, it's an excuse to grab the remote and push fast forward before I start yelling at the screen for killing the flow of the movie. Anyway, they they don't ruin it in this one because they had some common sense not to put in a god-awful musical number. So anyway, if you're going to see the originals like Dracula, Frankenstein, Frankenstein, and the Wolfman, you also have to put this on your short list of what to see. Count Dracula sleeps in this coffin, but rises every night at sunset. Chick is right. This is awful silly stuff. Dracula. Chick! What's the matter now? You know that person you said that there's no such person? Yes. I think he's in there, in person. I was reading a sign over here, this one down here. Yeah. Dracula's legend. All of a sudden I heard... That's the wind. It should get oiled. Listen, stop reading this thing. That's a lot of phony baloney to fool McDougal's customers. Now fold up that canvas and get busy. Come on. Dracula can change himself at will into a vampire bat flying about the countryside. Flying. Listen, you're making enough noise to wake up the dead. I don't have to wake him up. He's up. I saw a hand. You saw a hand? Uh-huh. Where? Right over there. Let me see it. Right over there. Where is it? I saw a hand there. You don't know what you're talking about. You're all excited reading this legend. Now listen. Listen, Wilbur. I know there's no such a person as Dracula. You know there's no such a person as Dracula. But does Dracula know it? Now listen to me. McDougal will be here any minute with the insurance agent. Now get to work. He keeps himself alive by drinking the blood. to be ridiculous. Well, what? Are you trying to tell me that candle moves? Look, wait a minute. Candles can't move. This, this one did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch it. Keep your eye on it. Is it moving? Huh? It's not moving, is it? No. Well, use your brains a little bit. Let's get this job finished. 
Next up is Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man. Now, you'll remember if you saw the end of the uh, movie Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, there's the boat scene where you kind of hear Vincent Price's voice saying, I'm the Invisible Man, and then they jump out of the boat and everything. And it's kind of a cool effect because you see a guy smoking a cigarette, but there's no guy there. Well, he won't chase us anymore. And another thing, Mr. Chick Young, the next time that I tell you that I saw something when I saw it, you believe me that I saw it. All relax. Now that we've seen the last of Dracula, the Wolfman and the Monster, there's nobody to frighten us anymore. Oh, that's too bad. I was hoping to get in on the excitement. Who said that? Allow me to introduce myself. I'm the Invisible Man. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so they decided to probably follow up because they they expected to do another uh, sequel, but maybe they didn't realize how popular uh, Frankenstein was going to be because it took three years to make this movie. But in any case, um, Bud and Lou, known as <laughs> they're actually called their names in this one, um, they just graduated from uh, private detective school and then they end up becoming these these bumbling idiots as they always are, um, and and it's fun. Like it's it's nothing great about this one, and it, it's definitely not as good as Abbott Meet. Uh, Frankenstein, but if you enjoyed the Invisible movies, you're going to enjoy this one as well, and it involves like a boxer um, who was accused of murdering his manager, and so the duo kind of help him um, try to uh, clear his good name. So anyway, um, if, if you enjoy Abner Costello and you enjoy monster movies, you should probably see them all. Next up is the return of the original films that wasn't just an offshoot of, you know, Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, Mummy, Invisible Man, and whatnot. In 1954, they released Creature from the Black Lagoon, and it's kind of funny to watch the movie now because it was originally filmed for uh, for theater viewing in 3D, and because of this, you'll get some gratuitous close-ups of The Gill Man and Sea Life, which really adds nothing to the plot, but I'm sure at the time it was kind of interesting to see in 3D. Creature is definitely entertaining, even if it's a bit campy. There really isn't much to the plot at all. Basically, there's a team of archaeologists who go on a geology expedition in the Amazon. While on their boat, the Gill Man takes a fancy to Julie Adams, or Julia Adams, and starts to stalk her, but only underwater. Of course, he can't help himself and eventually comes out of water. The rest of the movie is the back and forth between the Gill Man and the crew. And oh yeah, and the Gill Man likes to kill people as well, which is only fair. It's a monster movie after all. Next up is Revenge of the Creature from 1955. This is the first sequel to Creature from the Black Lagoon. For this entry, men from a Florida oceanarium decide to steal the infamous Gilman in order to use him as an attraction at their water park. Kind of think of King Kong in that in a sea life sort of way. Of course, this is a terrible idea, and he escapes from captivity at the park and goes on a rampage against the customers and staff. Some great trivia here. This is Clint Eastwood's first film appearance, though he pretty much disregards the film when asked about it. He plays a scientist. Hey! Uh, didn't you say that among the lower animals there were no natural enemies, as long as they were well fed? Yeah, something like that. Wow. Well, maybe so, Doc, <laughs> but there were four rats in there when I changed my lights. Now there's only three. Punk. It's my considered opinion that rat number four is sitting inside that cat. Are you sure you fed them all this morning? Sure, I always feed them. Seeing as how I've got a 44 Magnum in my pocket, the most powerful handgun in the world. Oh. How'd he get in here? Yeah, this guy's bad. This is his first and last movie. 
Next is Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummy from 1955. As the title gives away, guess what? Bud and Wu indeed meet the mummy. The movie is notable for being the last Abbott and Costello movie to be produced by Universal Pictures. They did 28 in total. This time the boys are stranded in Egypt and of course are hunted by the always menacing mummy. Because after all, there's nothing else that really happens in Egypt besides ancient tomb hunting. At least that's what the movies tell us. Anyway, there are other uh, Abbott and Costello meet whoever movies um, like Boris Karloff, The Killer, or um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. But for whatever reason, this wasn't included in our set, and I'm not going to really go into them. But if you're into Abbott and Costello, definitely check those out. And this is notable for being, again, the last Bud and Lou movie produced by Universal Pictures. All right, we've hit the last movie in this 30-movie marathon just in time for Halloween, so go out and check out some of them. But the last movie on this list and in my box set is The Creature Walks Among Us from 1956, and this is the third and final movie based on The Creature from the Black Lagoon. Again, the plot is the Gilman is captured. Why don't they just leave him alone at this point? <laughs> but he's transformed from a pure underwater creature into being able to breathe uh, air like humans outside of water. Of course, this allows the Gilman to run rampant on the townspeople and set mass fires in the process. Burn the sucker down, Gilman, is, that, is what I always say. Anyway, this has been a lot of fun to do. If, if you haven't got into the Universal Horror Movies, I highly suggest you do. Hopefully this podcast helps you out about what to see and, and what to avoid. But honestly, don't avoid any of them. Watch the best ones first, then watch the B-movies because they're still a lot of fun. And yeah, th- this was a fun episode to do. Have a happy Halloween, and we'll talk to you next week. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for damn good movie memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and be sure to tune in next week for an all-new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. 